All right, so we're, we're starting with uh, uh, our lesson again on forgiveness. I did part one last week. This is part two on the issue of forgiveness. And as I said to you, this is one of the key issues that effectively preclude us from having a dynamic relationship with God. Many of you have wondered, why, why is not God using you? Why do you not see ministry being available to you? Why do you not seem to have a, a more intimate relationship with God and Jesus Christ? Uh, and the reason that many of us have this problem is because there remains the seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. Uh, and some of us have been hurt as young children. Uh, people have hurt us, have done some terrible things to us, and we have never forgiven them. Uh, some of that relates to parents. Some of it relates to spouses. Some of us have been through divorces, and those things have left terrible stains on our lives. And so what's happened is that many of us continue to eat rat poison in order to kill the person that hurt you. And you know what happens when you consume rat poison. You're the rat. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we have to come to terms with this. Jesus uh, felt very critically about this. This was an important issue. And so when we left off last week, I was beginning to speak about the issue of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And just return to that verse, John 13, verse 10. Um, and, and in this passage, this is when Jesus has begun to wash the feet of the disciples. And Peter, as Peter normally does, doesn't really get it. Uh, his heart is right, but he just doesn't get it. And he says, you will never, you will never wash my, my feet. You'll never wash my feet. Uh, and, and Jesus says to him, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part of me. You will not be part of the kingdom. Uh, and so that means that in, that in the mind of Jesus, foot washing is critical. And, and so metaphorically, what is the foot washing? What is Jesus saying to us today? Verse, well, then you see in verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, which is so typically Peter. Okay, well, if that's the case, don't just do my feet, do my whole body. But look at what, how Jesus responds here in verse 10. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that, he, that was why he said not everyone was clean. You are already clean. Jesus is referring to salvation. When you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through the grace and mercy of God, you are forgiven. You are washed. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are removed as far as the east is, as far as the west. Uh, God wipes out that videotape of that part of your life. You are forgiven and you are saved forever. But Jesus said you still need to have your feet washed. You've had the bath, you're clean, but you need to have your feet washed. Why? Because we walk in an evil world. Satan has been sentenced to this world, all right? Satan, and we know one-third of the angels that revolted against God, were, were, were cast away from heaven and sent to this world. And so here, this is his planet. Uh, this is his dominion. We walk in a place 
in which we are surrounded by evil. So even as saved men, as we traverse day by day by day, carrying flesh around with us, we will sin. Dirt will come upon us. And the only way to get that dirt off your body is to have Jesus wash your feet. Now, there are churches that actually do foot washing as part of their service. I don't particularly think you need to go through a physical act of having your feet washed. This is a spiritual act. Jesus is talking to us spiritually. So how can you get your feet washed spiritually by Jesus? Through prayer and confession and intercession on your knees and studying the Bible. And every day you need to speak to God about your life. Now, you've heard me say it. How many times have you heard me say it? You need to speak 100 times a day. My wife recently told me that there was some significant issue in her life that she said she spoke 1,000 times that day. 1,000 times that day. And I think that's true. I think that when things get really turned up, you know what I'm talking about. Something comes across your radar. All of a sudden, there's nonstop communication with God. It's almost like you're not even communicating with people in the world anymore. You're just speaking to God constantly. Well, th this is what Jesus wants from us because this is how he's going to wash your feet. He's going to convict you, first of all, about your attitude. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. It means this. 10, 15 years ago, words would come out of your mouth. Thoughts would come into your head. Actions would come across, and you wouldn't be troubled at all. You wouldn't be troubled at all. Somebody did something mean to you, your tongue couldn't get out fast enough with some word, right? I mean, I would just, that was my specialty, really. You, 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 you crossed me, man, I would carve you up. You were making a huge mistake. And you know, now, do I still have the ability to do that? Of course, I was born with that. That's a gift. <laughs> but here's what happens. Jesus puts handcuffs on you. Jesus puts a filter, because now here's what happens. When you go to launch one of these rockets, all of a sudden you go, oh, no, God help me. No, I don't want to do that, Lord. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that mean-spirited thing. I don't want to be hurtful. I don't want to slander. I don't want to gossip. And I see it even when I talk with you guys before, and we'll talk about issues that are, affect you. And the first thing you'll all say to me is, I don't want to gossip. I don't want to slander. And that's God. That's how God wants you to be. He doesn't want us to be gossipers or slanderers. He wants us to elevate each other and to affirm each other. But this issue is critical. You need to understand you need to have your feet washed. And foot washing refers to forgiveness. And so many of us are walking around with this blemish of rage and bitterness and unforgiveness. Some of you don't even know why you're bitter. You can't even articulate it. Well, why, 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 you know, you'll say to somebody, you seem to have a, 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 a negative attitude. Oh, I've had a hard life. But you're in Naples. <laughs> this is as close you're ever going to get to heaven. Look at the ocean. Did you ever thank God that he brought you here? Look at you. I mean, I talked to people today. I talked to a guy from Minnesota's in the class. And, 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 he, and I, I said to him, how would you happen to get to Naples? He says, because I came from Minnesota. <laughs> I said, but how did you happen to come to Naples? He said, because I came from Minnesota. 
Oh, I go, yeah, I get it. I'm not that stupid. I get it. But that's the point. You have landed in a Garden of Eden. This is as good as it's going to get in this world. All right? So reflect on your attitude, why you're angry. Why, why do you see that? And I submit that many of you carry hurts. You don't even understand the nature of the hurt, but you carry hurts. You are still walking around uh, as if people have, have hurt you. Look at, second, look at Psalm 66. This is an important psalm. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Reflect on that. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If the God is speaking to you in that verse, he's telling you that if you keep sin in your heart, you have anger and resentment. Something is going on in your heart that you hold on to. It's like your little private closet. You know what I mean? You have that one little closet. Yeah, you go to church. Yeah, you're involved in various acts of charitable giving. But yet you've got that one little area that that's your thing. All right? And if you keep that kind of sin in your heart, God is not going to listen to your prayers. That's not John Garippa telling you that. That's scripture telling you that. And that's, a, that's important to understand this. So if you wonder why, why is it that in some ways you don't feel like you have this intimate relationship with God? You've lost that intimacy with God. You don't necessarily feel like your prayers are being acknowledged. I'm going to submit to you uh, that the reason for that is that this, there, is, there is unforgiveness and hidden iniquity in your heart. Now, now, there are important reasons in the outline that I've given you, number four. There are important reasons as to why we need daily confession to Jesus. Every day, Lord, search my heart. Reveal to me, Lord. Tell me if I've, if I've got unforgiveness or anger or bitterness or rage or hatred or slander or gossip. Why do we do this? When, well, the first thing we do is it gives me a greater understanding and appreciation of the cross. I can only appreciate the work of Jesus on the cross when I continually examine myself. The only way you really understand what Jesus did for you in forgiving you is examining yourself every day, finding these issues in your heart, and asking God to, to convict you and remove it from your heart. And those are prayers that he will answer. Lord, deliver me. Take these thoughts away from me. Uh, help me to pray for these people that have hurt me, Father. Second, we have a greater understanding of the work of grace. We can truly say, Lord, it is only because of your mercy that I am not condemned. Do you ever stop to say that? When you see that you are effectively a sin factory, that, 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 you're, that typically your mind is working overtime, and these issues continue to stay in your life, and yet God has forgiven you forever, and yet you see that only because of the grace and mercy of God himself through Jesus Christ that you're saved. You understand what grace is about. Unmerited favor. Grace. Unmerited favor. Uh, and so you see that it's only because of the mercy of God that I'm not condemned. Um, and third, uncontested sin in any area provides the bricks with which Satan will build a stronghold. 
That's exactly the truth. If you have sin residing in your life, effectively, Satan is going to use that, and he will build a stronghold. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How about that? We actually take our thoughts. Lord, we ask you, make our thoughts captive to you, Jesus. Don't let me think the way I've normally thought. Don't let me have this hatred and bitterness, Lord. Take it away from me. And those thoughts, those prayers will be answered. And you see that. Uh, And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. And so you see this self-confession. Father, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I don't want to act like this. Show me the hidden compartments of my life. Show me the weaknesses in my life and address them. Help me to make these thoughts captive to you, Father. Uh, And so by means of confession and God's forgiveness, we cease to become debtors to sin. That's what it is. We are walking around in debt to sin. God has forgiven you. But still we walk around not fulfilling God's uh, work for our lives. Why? Because of this hidden sin and iniquity, even as God has forgiven us. Because we have these issues that we still have kept in our heart. And as a result of that, you are becoming handcuffed to the sin that could be washed away with the daily foot washing of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so uh, we need to understand where we are. After confessing to God and receiving forgiveness, and I refer to this as daily confession, daily forgiveness, we become debtors to God in another sense. First, we are indebted to God because he allows us to have a rich life. Yes, we're saved, but he's also given us ministry, opportunity, and as he's given us the fact to have a glorious life in this world. Some of us who are saved are not having the glorious life in this world because we haven't come to terms with this issue yet. Yes, you're going to have a glorious life on the other side, but God wants you to have a glorious life in this world, in this world, in this time. And we have occluded that opportunity because of these issues. And so when we come to understand that daily confession, daily intimacy with God, daily prayer with God, uh, we recognize that we were nothing before him. And at the same time, we now become debtors to men. What do I mean by that? We are constrained to bring the message of forgiveness to a lost world. We are constrained to bring that message of reconciliation to a lost world. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 47. I have to tell you that this is a passage that I thought I knew, uh, but I really didn't know uh, until I've studied it for this class, this teaching. Verse 47, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants, will be beaten with many blows. 
But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I've never reflected on that verse in this way until I've really gotten to understand forgiveness. Here's, here's, I'm going to give you the John Garippa version of what I believe that verse is saying. It's this. You've been saved. I've delivered you from eternal judgment. I couldn't give you anything more than that. And I expect you to live your life in this world a certain way. And if you don't live your life in this world a certain way, then there's a judgment. Things aren't going to go great. Things aren't going to be happy. All right? Oh, John, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I, I, you know, we're saved. Yes, you're saved. But to he who has received much, much more is expected in return. Now, a lot of us have thought about, well, maybe would that verse apply to affluence or physical blessings or blessings with family. No, this verse, as I read this now, relates to salvation. I mean, think about it. You've been saved from the judgment of hell, all right? Not because you're good or you're winsome or you're a nice person. Nothing but the mercy of God himself saved you. And now there's an expectation by God of what that means. He expects you to be his hands and his feet. Day two. I'm going to keep talking about day two all year. Because I think God has revealed this to my heart. The difference between day one and day two. Look, there's a bunch of day one Christians. We've been saved. Thank you, Jesus. I've been saved. Yes, let me put my chair down. I'm done. I'm done. No, you're not done. How are you done when you read that verse? How are you done when you read that verse? You see the, 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 the judgment of God on the rest of your life, taking up your cross and walking and following him, uh, abiding in him, giving up your life. All those things relate to he who has received much, much is expected in return. And what about the servant who doesn't know any better? What about the servant who is basically not saved, hasn't come to terms with God? He doesn't get a pass, but clearly God is not judging him in, at this point in this world uh, in terms of the way that he's judging you in terms of what he's given you. Yes, there will be an eternal judgment on those that haven't come to, under, to, to salvation. We're not talking about salvation, but what we're talking about here is understanding, importantly, how God expects you to live and walk in this life to have that intimacy, to have that relationship so that you know and do what God wants you to do. This is a very powerful word. Now, Jesus spoke again very powerfully on this issue of, of forgiveness. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 18. We didn't study this last week. It's, it's important to study this. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. And it involves Peter again. I love him. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, you have to love Peter. He's a guy that liked numbers. You know, I need to know Jesus precisely. I'm a Jew. I come out of the Old Covenant. I know about rules and regulations. Tell me, Jesus, 
how many times? How many times do I forgive him? Seven? And I'm sure Peter was thinking, oh, that's pretty good. I'm looking good, Jesus, huh? I'm looking good. Seven. Seven times. Seven times. Uh, and it's interesting because seven in, in Scripture is a sign of perfection well, when you study it. So I'm sure in his mind he was thinking, boy, this is good. Jesus is going to, I'm going to get a star for this performance. And Jesus answered, verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now let me correct you first of all. Don't think, okay, 77, I'm putting that number up. And every time this guy has, has done something bad, now it's 76, now it's 75, now it's 62, now it's 48. I mean, I mean, the point is, Jesus didn't mean a physical number of 77. What he meant was forever, infinite, ongoing, ongoing forgiveness. Now, as I said before, that doesn't mean that when you forgive people, uh, that, they, that they stay in your social circle or stay within your orbit. Some people cannot. Even as you forgive them, they cannot uh, because in some instances they will detract from your ministry, will detract from your work of God. But God wants you to pray for them and to forgive them. And now the, Jesus is going to give us this incredible uh, parable about how God looks at forgiveness. And follow along, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is important. Jesus is now going to give you what God's economy looks like. You want an insight into how God the Father thinks about this? Jesus is giving it to you. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Let me stop and tell you, effectively what the, what the value of 10,000 talents was during this period of time. And, and I've studied this. Uh, 10,000 talents would have run the entire economy of Judea under Herod the king for one year. One year, the entire economy, all of the expenditures, all of the expenditures for soldiers, um, and infrastructure, all of that, salaries, would have been covered for one year with 10,000 talents. If you were listening to this as a first century Jew, and Jesus said this, you'd fall down laughing. You would fall down laughing because you would go, how could anybody owe 10,000 talents? This is mind-boggling. It's ridiculous. But Jesus would do this, you see. Jesus would do it perfectly because as God, he knew what it was to get the attention of man. And so he would put this out. How? Nobody would owe 10,000 talents. No, you do. You do. When God saved you. That's effectively the price of salvation. 10,000 talents. This incredible, mind-boggling amount of death. Debt. I'm right, death. All right? And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, well, of course, 10,000 talents, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to be repay the debt. And that was typical of what would happen during that first century period of time. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He canceled this enormous debt of 10,000 talents that nobody could ever pay back. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That's like pocket change. Pocket change. Okay? Pocket change. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa, Jesus. This is serious. So metaphorically, what is Jesus saying to you today? He's saying this, I saved you from the judgment of hell. I brought you through my grace and mercy. I gave you effectively 10,000 talents of debt-free life in order that you could be with me. And now I look at you, and I see how you walk on day two, and I don't see this act of forgiveness. I see resentment and bitterness and someone that wants to put judgment on people. To he who has received much, much is expected in return. You know, you don't hear messages like this preached in church because when you preach this, not a lot of people are going to come back. It's not easy to preach this. All right? People don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear this. But you need to hear this. God laid this thing on my heart about forgiveness. And this, I preach to myself first. First. As my dad used to say, when I'm pointing out like this, I got three fingers pointing back at me. I got three fingers pointing back at me. Anybody that does this and doesn't recognize this, I'm preaching to me. You need to forgive. You need to have kindness. You need to be less judgmental. You need to take this anger and resentment out of your life. And the only way you can do this is when you come to terms with this and you understand that to he who has received much, much is expected in return. Much is expected. So what's the much? The much is a spirit of forgiveness. The much is a spirit of forgiveness. And so you see this. Uh, and so, so many of us have really derailed this. We've derailed our relationship with God because we have this ongoing blockage in our life. Yes, God has forgiven us, but we've forgotten how significant it is. He's just told you right here. It's 10,000 talents worth of forgiveness. All right? And so do we go out and do we reflect that act of love and forgiveness that we got with other people? Do we do that? Or, or are you the kind of person that when somebody does something slightly askew, slightly askew, do you dump on them like a pile of bricks? Do you dump on them like a pile of bricks? 
Somebody comes into your house and, and, and they do something for you and it's not exactly the way you want it. Do you blow up in anger? Do you blow up in anger? Are you so demanding in your life that you're like the El Exigente of anything that you work on or anybody that comes to terms with you that it's almost like I don't want to even go near that guy? You think that's how God wants us to act? You think that's how God wants us to act? Or are you effectively showing the mercy and love of God that he had for you? Are you showing it back to a, to a world? Uh, and, and so you need to see this, is with this great parable about how significant God looks at lack of forgiveness. I can't imagine a, a, a more uh, potent parable indicating how serious it is that God looks at this. Uh, and this is why the Jesus emphasized foot washing. You cannot advance in the kingdom of God unless your feet are being washed. And the only way you're going to come to terms with the fact that you don't have this forgiveness, that you have ongoing bitterness, is to say, Lord, help me. Make these thoughts, make these character flaws captive, Jesus. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to be this way. I want to be like you. I want to be the, I want to be the kind of person that reflects Jesus Christ in everything that I do. Uh, and, and so you need, we need to come to terms with that. I want you also to turn to the uh, first epistle of John, chapter 1. First epistle of John, chapter 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. This is a passage written to the church. This is a passage written to Christians. This is a passage not given to pagans. This is a, a passage given to people who have already come to be with Jesus, understand who Jesus is, and are saved. And so what does it mean? Look at what it says there. If you claim to be without sin, then you are deceiving yourselves. So you've been saved, but you're not perfect. You're not holy. God sees you as holy through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ because you're saved, but you're not holy. And so you need ongoing foot washing and sanctification, and confession, and intercession. And, and look at the consequence of this. If we confess our sins, meaning if we have our feet washed by Jesus, all right, that's effectively what that means there. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In the daily act of foot washing and intercession and confession, God will wash that away. He will take that unforgiveness out of your heart. He will take the bitterness and anger out of your heart. But only when you confess it back to him, when you submit yourself to have your feet washed. It doesn't happen automatically. It requires willfulness on your part. It's day two. It's day two. Not day one. Day one required no willfulness on your part. 
a recognition of being lost, need a Savior, and he pours salvation in. But day two requires carrying a cross, giving up your life, abiding in him, a willful act, and the willful act there is, Lord, I confess, wash my heart, wash my feet, help me, Lord, to take these thoughts and this anger and resentment out of my life. And the answer is, and he will purify us from all uh, unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. His word has no place in your life unless you're doing this. Wow. This is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. I've only really begun to understand the day two implications of being a Christian. Never really came to terms with this before in my life. But only recently have I come to understand the day two implications. The need for willfulness in picking up your cross, carrying your cross, abiding in him, giving up your life, looking at yourself and confessing daily this issue. Don't say, I'm saved, I don't have to do this. Then why are these verses in the Bible? Why is Jesus saying these things? Why is he talking to the disciples the way he is? Why does he tell Peter, a man who's saved, you need to forgive 70 times 7? Why does he give the messages of these parables? It's because only God understands the enormity of unforgiveness and hidden iniquity in your life. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you are going to heaven. But will you have an ongoing, intimate relationship in this world? Will you have a life that will be glorious in this world, connected in every way to God? Will you be able to be efficacious in ministry? Will your prayers be answered the way God wants to answer them? The question is, that's the question, and the answer is only when you on go have this willfulness on day two and ask God to wash my feet. Wash my feet. Confess this sin. Understand it. So some additional insights that I've written here uh, on this issue of forgiveness uh, involves, first of all, really uh, acknowledging the pain. Uh, and I've tried to come up with ways to, to focus on this. Uh, many of us have not acknowledged the pain of unforgiveness. You've been hurt, and some of you have put that hurt away. Some of you have been hurt as children. Uh, some of you as young adults. Some of you have been hurt by your parents some of you by spouses, and we've not acknowledged it. Well, I believe that the first way to, to eliminate this issue as you get your feet washed by Jesus is to acknowledge the, the pain. We cannot work through the pain unless we admit we've been hurt. Yes, you've been hurt. God, won't, God knows you've been hurt, all right? It's not just a gratuitous act of, of, of lack of unforgiveness. In many cases, that's understandable why you don't forgive. You've been hurt. Then think through the pain. And I say that you need to be honest about the way you feel, even if you feel that you should not feel that way. You need to be honest about the fact that you, that you ha harbor this resentment. You were hurt. You were legitimately hurt. You didn't imagine it, but you need to think through it as you acknowledge it and ask God to wash your feet. Then some of us need to put our ourselves in the shoes of the offender. Sometimes we have been hurt by people who didn't even realize that they were hurting us. Some people are ignorant. 
They're ignorant. They didn't even know what they were doing, and they did it. Uh, and some of us were hurt by our parents, who at the time thought they were doing the best for us, and effectively they were not. All right? And we continue to harbor that unforgiveness in our heart. Put yourself in the shoes of the offender. Remember that God forgave you, especially that you did not deserve to be forgiven. This is a big one. When you come to terms with understanding this issue about uh, forgiveness and lack of forgiveness, just think about how much God forgave you. What did God do for you? And now what does God want you to do to people that come across your radar? And then understand that God commands us to forgive. He commands it. It's not just a wish, a hope, a good thought. He commands you uh, to forgive. Um, and remember, finally, to let go of the pain. Let go of the pain. Don't, don't hold on to it like a dear friend. Some of us hold on to these. We almost cherish these, these, these painful episodes. Why? I don't understand it. But I know that's almost like some people look back on these things. Let go of it. Let go of it. Do not replay the hurt over and over again in your mind. Continue to forgive in every way. And if the, the wound is really deep, you're probably going to have to forgive more than once. And here's a big one. Pray for the person who hurt you. Pray for the person who hurt you. I have found in my life that the only way, really, the only way that I ultimately was able to forgive people who seriously hurt me, hurt me bad, uh, hurt me bad, in some ways, the pain was far worse than the day that my parents passed on. Uh, the only way was when I engaged in an ongoing act of prayer for these people. It's when I started to pray for them on a regular basis that miraculously, the pain was removed from my life. When I recognized that God wanted me to pray for them, and that as I was doing that, God was elevating me above the, the human flesh, uh, and through his spirit and through the Holy Spirit, that, that, that pain was eliminated. And so now, some of these instances that I look back on, I actually thank God for that. I thank God for that because I see some of these things that happened in my life as a reason that God was directing my paths. Truthfully, I wouldn't be here in ministry but for some of the most painful episodes in my life. Would I have liked to avoid them? Yes, I would like to avoid them. Nobody wants to get a beating. I wanted to avoid it, but here's the thing. After praying and reflecting and forgiving, I can see that God's hand was involved in everything. That is why Romans 8.28 is a life verse for me. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Put that on your refrigerator. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Meaning what? If you love Jesus, if you're serving God, yes, there's going to be some dark times, but know that God will orchestrate it all as the ma master orchestrator, and he will use it to advance your spiritual life. Walking in his purpose. 
And that includes this. That includes pain and, uh, and a lack of unforgiveness. All of this. And so this is important. Uh, and God wants you to love the offender. Now, look, look, I'm not saying that someone who is a, a bitter, nasty, revengeful person that's crossed your, your, your radar scene, crossed your radar, that, that, that you continue to try to have a social relationship with that person. God, God removes certain people from your circle. I've seen it in my own life. He just does it. All of a sudden, you know, you find that even as you forgive people, you're not necessarily in that social circle anymore. And I've always asked God, Lord, take away those people that you don't want me to be with and bring me closer to those that you want me to be with. This is the group of people God has called us to have an intimate relationship with. Right here. These are your brothers. These are the people that love you and care about you and will pray for you. You understand? Yes, you leave here and you go out into the world. But when you go out into the world, not everybody is like this. Not everybody is like this, caring and loving about you. Uh, and so you, you need to understand that. Um, and, and there's another interesting verse that, that I, I studied in, on this as it relates to forgiveness, but as it relates even to uh, brothers in the faith. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Verse seven, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to, be, to sin. So watch yourselves. Let me stop right there. Jesus is warning us, do not be an occasion of sin. Do not be a person who will bring other people down. Do not be responsible for tempting other people. Let's get that straight right now. Do not be that person. Verse 4, what is he talking about? Now you're going to see a different perspective. If your brother sins, and we're talking now about a person who is effectively an occasion of sin, a person who is, who is bringing other people down. If your brother sins, and we're talking about your brother, meaning someone who is in your spiritual family, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, I'm going to tell you that you have to be constrained as you read this. That doesn't mean that you don't forgive uh, when, when he doesn't repent because there's other things that are going to happen to him in that relationship with you. If, he sins, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, in a day and seven time, times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. All right? Forgive him. So you understand this. You still have an obligation if he's a brother in the church and his activities are out of line and he's violating God's will. You forgive him, but you correct him. You correct him in love, not in a judgmental way, not in a judgmental way, but in a way of love, experience, and, and giving the, 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 the aura of forgiveness that God has given to you. Now, there are a couple other verses that I put down that I'd like you to read. Uh, as we bring this chapter to a close, starting with Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Start with verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
day two, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Wow. Wow. What a powerful verse there. And so effectively what he's saying is you're saved. You're now engaged in the ongoing act of walking with Jesus. It's day two. You're sanctifying your life. You're asking God to wash your feet daily. Clothe yourself now. Clothe yourself with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I know some of you are saying, oh, wow, wow, this does not sound like me. No, it doesn't sound like me either. You understand? It doesn't sound like me either, but here's the thing. Maybe I'm only on day two. Maybe by day seven or day 20 or day 500, maybe it will sound like me. You understand? That daily intimate relationship with Jesus, the ongoing act of foot washing. And when you do this, God pours his spirit into your life and he corrects you and he raises you and lifts you up, and what will you find? You will be clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Bear with each other. Do you have a bearing spirit, or do you blow up? Do you just, are you just a raging volcano? I know you're saved. I believe you're saved. But move on. Move on. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together. Folks, that's the final glue in understanding this. When the love of Jesus Christ is poured into your heart, when that love is poured into your heart, and it will be poured into your heart on a daily basis, when you do that, you will find yourself reaching out to people you never would have reached out to. You will see people that have a need and suddenly the Holy Spirit will convict you. You will find yourself answering issues for other people that you never thought. You'll see needs in your church that you will automatically address without being told. You don't have to be told that there's a need. God convicts you of of that. And I know there are people in this group right now that live their lives like that. And I commend you. I commend you. Because you're doing exactly what God wants you to be. You're being his hands and his feet. But I want you to leave today, leave today, surrendering yourself to God, saying, Father, I recognize that I need you. I ask you to wash my feet, cleanse me, take the bitterness and anger and rage out of my life. Clothe me with compassion and humility, Father. Clothe me with your love so that when I go out to the world, I can be exactly who you want me to be, to he who has received much, much is expected in return. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words. Lord, you have inspired us today. Lord, we recognize what you have given us, Father. We recognize this gift of salvation. 
but we equally recognize our responsibility to be washed daily because we walk in an evil place. Be with us, Father. Enlighten us. Bless us. Let this lesson resonate in our hearts this week. Protect our men, especially so during the Christmas season. Let us reflect more than ever this year on what you've given us at Christmas. Let us bring these blessings to our family and to a world that may be lost. Protect our men and bring them back for the start of the new year in January as we continue this study. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.